10 years ago, on December 14th, 2012, 20 first graders and six teachers were massacred at Sandy Hook Elementary School. Today, Bishop Caggiano is joined by his friend, Monsignor Robert Weiss, who was the pastor in Newtown that day and still is today. They're going to reflect on that tragic day as well as on Monsignor Weiss's 50 years as a priest. Please keep your radio tuned on 1350 AM and 103.9 FM, or keep us on your phone with the Veritas mobile app. The app is available at the Apple App Store, the Google Play Store, or VeritasCatholic.com. And Let Me Be Frank is brought to you by a grant from Foundations in Faith. Please keep two Foundations in Faith ministries in mind and give if you can. There's a big need being filled by the St. Francis Xavier Fund for Missionary Parishes, which supports vibrant inner city parishes facing financial challenges. For example, the weather's getting colder and many of our inner city parishes have old boilers that are breaking down. The St. Francis Xavier Fund helps these parishes by providing new boilers to keep the heat on in the cold winter months. The second ministry is Foundations and Charities Mental Health Matters Campaign, which supports vital mental health services provided by Catholic Charities in Fairfield County. The need for mental health services really is truly great. Please help your fellow brothers and sisters in need by giving to this campaign. Helping is easy. Simply go to bridgeportdiocese.org and click on the Giving Tuesday link. Thanks for helping Foundations in Faith and Foundations in Charity. They're really providing essential services to the more vulnerable people and parishes right here in our community. Okay, welcome back, everybody, to Let Me Be Frank uh, on the Veritas Catholic Network. I'm Steve Lee, and it is my great pleasure, as always, to introduce Bishop Frank Caggiano. Steve, good to be with you, my friend. Here, we are in the midst of Advent, getting ready, no, for Christmas. Crazy, 2022 Yeah, before you know it. Yeah, it certainly did. But I mean, our obligation is to slow down and enjoy the, the season of Advent in its own right. Right. So we could, we haven't spoken about that. Maybe next time we gather, we'll talk a little bit yes, more about it. Yeah. Because before it completed, this year we have the longest Advent possible because Christmas is uh-huh. Sunday. So it's the longest. Sometimes it's the shortest. If Christmas lands on a Monday, which is next year, you only got three days, three weeks in one day, but we have four weeks to kind of use it to our benefit spiritually. So just a, a bit of a, a side homily. Yes. Yeah. Now, we have we have we have very important guest. Uh, it is my pleasure to introduce Monsignor Robert Weiss. Monsignor Weiss entered the seminary in New York right after high school and has served all over the diocese, from St. Andrews in Bridgeport, St. Leo's in Stamford, St. Jude's in Monroe, and St. Joseph's in Shelton. He landed at uh, St. Rose of Lima in Newtown in 1999 and has been there ever since. And Monsignor is going to celebrate. 50 years as a priest next year in 2023. This follows uh, on his 75th birthday, which was just a few months ago. And Mm -hmm. many of our Mm -hmm. listeners know Monsignor Weiss as the pastor who shepherded his community through the tragedy at Sandy Hook, which was 10 years ago on December 14th. And on a personal note, I've come to know Monsignor Weiss over the past few years, and he is just a wonderful priest with about as big a heart as I've ever known in a person. So I'm blessed to know you, Monsignor. Welcome, and thank you for joining us on Let Me Be Frank. Well, thank you for inviting me. 
Oh, Monsignor, it's a pleasure to have you here. You're a tremendous priest, a tremendous man of, of faith. And I'm going to ask you my very first question that I ask every person who comes on this podcast, particularly those who are clerics. And if you don't mind, to the extent that you are comfortable, tell us your vocation story, right? Because it may encourage some young men or, or, or men who are listening. Tell us how you got to be Monsignor Weiss. Sure, Ralph. For me, it certainly had its roots in my family. Uh, my mother was raised Catholic. My father was not. Uh, and my grandfather wanted my mother to become a nun. And she would just wanted to go to her prom. He, she didn't really have any interest in religious life. And so she made a novena to St. Anne. It was her own uh, word. She said, St. Anne, send me a man. And she met my dad. Uh, and the day before their wedding, my father surprised her. In those days, if you married a non-Catholic, you were married either outside the rail or in the rectory. And so she had bought a blue suit to get married on the rectory stairs. And my father said to her, I became a Catholic today so we can get married in church. And my wow. father was an incredible, incredible Catholic man. You know, as with many converts, especially in those times, they truly embraced and lived their faith. And so we were very much raised in a, in a, a family that embraced the church. Uh, with time, with talent, certainly with treasure. And I think it's, it's from that very much that I, I kind of grew into an understanding of priesthood. My mother, when I told her I was going to go in the seminary, cried. And I thought it was tears of joy. She said, Bob, that's not good for you. You're not going to be happy. You like life too much. And she said, I'm not sure this is going to be the right vocation for you. But, you know, in time, things changed. And certainly my mom became a great supporter for me. In fact, anybody that met my mother knew that she had a son who was a priest. And uh, <laughs> So your mother and my mother must have been best friends now in heaven. <laughs> Absolutely. But I think very much my vocation, um, I actually had a, I, I was senior class president, and um, I used to lead the prayers at high school every morning. And on uh, senior skip day, I, I went to do the prayers. As I walked past our parish church, which was on the same campus as the high school, I literally heard a voice that said, be a priest. And uh, for three or four days, I let that kind of wander around in my, in my head until I went and approached my religion teacher, Father Bowles, and I had a conversation with him. Uh, I've, I'm hesitant to say what, actually what he did say, uh, a unique approach to accepting vocation. Uh, but, you know, he encouraged me. And he said, you know, the best thing to do is take the step forward. And he said, pray mm -hmm. God you'll never take a step backward once you do. And I, I've remembered mm -hmm. that ever since. You know, certainly going to seminary back in the 60s in the height of the Second Vatican Council was a real challenge. Uh, we were transitioning constantly. And many of the priests who were teaching us in seminary were actually leaving the priesthood. And my, I entered with 104 men, seven of whom were ordained, and only three of us are still in active ministry. You know, it was really hard living through those times in formation. And then with the Second Vatican Council, you know, Fulton Sheen was the bishop uh, I went to seminary in Rochester, New York, and he, he came to the seminary one day. He said, gentlemen, I know you're sitting in classes, but, you know, with moral theology changing, with sacramental theology changing, with canon law changing, you're not, you're not doing yourself any favorites. So he said, let's be in the spirit of Attica and get out in the world. And so we were going to settlement houses. There was a, a great deal of race riots in Rochester at the time. We were down burned, burned out areas. We were sent to hospitals. You name it. We were out in the world. And he said, that is where the ministry that you are going to embrace is going to take you. 
you said, you know, the days of people knocking on the rectory door and you're sitting there welcoming them, they're, they're going away. We need to get out to meet the people where they are. And so Fulton Sheen really kind of changed the, the format of formation, at least mm-hmm. those few years. Mm-hmm. Uh, sadly, my uh, scholastic ability is limited when it comes to theology because of that. Uh, but on the other hand, the way I've embraced my ministry has certainly been enhanced with that, with that system. Oh, no, without a doubt. I think it, there's not a person I know who has not encountered you who says that you have a, a genuine pastoral loving heart for the people, whoever happens to be in front of you, parishioner or non-parishioner, right? It, it's, that's a tremendous testimony of being a good shepherd. But I did not know that you knew Fulton Sheen. So what was he like? Like, tell us really, what was he like? You know what? I was appointed to be his librarian. That was my seminary mission. And I mm-hmm. spent every Tuesday and Thursday with uh, with Fulton Sheen. Uh, he had he lived in the Catholic Center actually on, on the third floor. Uh, he tried to make it look like a very lavish home, uh, but it was very simple, very very simple. Which I think that kind of confuses some people too about Fulton Sheen. Uh, and actually, you know, he was shorter than I am, which yeah, oh. many people don't realize. You know, when he used to preach, he used to wear these long capes, but he stood on a box to give him some more height when he started. Is that right? Yes. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. Oh, this is fascinating. What else? <laughs> and so there are three tables. He said, everybody that's Catholic that writes anything, they send it to me. And there are three tables. One table I was supposed to uh, take to the incinerator, as they called it. Uh, the second one I was to distribute to the convents and the, and the seminaries. And the third, he said, I'd like it a catalog and I'm going to keep those. Uh, but I spent many, many hours with him. And, uh, so he was really a humble man, and he was a man very much ahead of his time. In fact, uh, because of his attitude about housing, uh, you know, racial equality and things like mm-hmm. that, he was not very welcome in Rochester and uh, had a very short tenure there before he was returned to New York. Uh, but it was mm-hmm. a fabulous experience for me, for sure. Oh, my gosh, without a doubt. I mean, I only know of him from the YouTube videos now that are available and his <laughs> preaching and his writing, yeah. which is tremendous, right? right. It's tremendous. Wow. And now your ministry in the diocese has brought you many different places, many different parishes. So you were pastor before you were pastor at St. Rose, you were pastor at St. Joseph's, correct? correct? Yeah. In Shelton? Or you, the two places you have been pastor, Monsignor? Yes. Okay. All right. So tell us about ministry, your experience all these years. Now it's 50 long years of ministry. <laughs> tell us about it. You know, I, I can't help but be very reflective as I approach this anniversary. And I, I, I honestly sometimes don't even remember what I did do. And I'm always astounded when people will stop me and say, do you remember the day you talked at our church? And you said something that I've kept with me all my life, you know? And, and I said, what did I say? And it was sounded so beautiful. I said, are you sure I said that? <laughs> no. You know, I, my, my main work really is with youth ministry. Um, when I was first here in the diocese, uh, youth ministry really didn't have a person in charge. So one of the other priests who unfortunately has left, left ministry, and I really worked hard uh, developing the Emmaus ministry and developing ministry programs. We had huge rallies uh, throughout the diocese. We had we were very attentive to the to the um, to the cultures. You know, we had one event where we invited all the the uh, Hispanic parishes to provide them food, and the kids loved eating all this different cultural food. Um, and mm-hmm. so we did a lot of great activities. So much of my my certainly my priesthood as a parochial vicar was. Um, very focused on family and very focused on young people. Uh, becoming a pastor, 
uh, you know, I, I had I've been given two parishes that really wanted to be reignited. Um, they really wanted to, to come alive and have activities that could involve them and involve the, the talents and gifts they have. So uh, St. Joseph was my first experience, and I was there for 10 years. Uh, we had just paid off a rather substantial debt. Our school enrollment was over 500. We put up two new buildings, and the bishop invited me to leave, <laughs> to come um, to Newtown. And uh, here, uh, it's, it's been a very different approach as well. You know, uh, we had some debt to deal with. We had some buildings that had a lot of need, and we didn't have enough space. Uh, we really have tried to enhance our campus to provide, you know, many, many areas of activity, as well as uh, now we now, as you know, host the, the food pantry for Newtown, which mm -hmm. is an incredible experience for our people. And, uh, you know, seeing so many people come week after week after week, especially during this pandemic and, and following, has really been uplifting for the spirit of this parish. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, St. Rose is probably one of the most active parishes we have in the whole diocese. How many ministries, how many different activities are going on? Well, pre-pandemic, we had about 64 ministries going on here. You know, I always say to everyone, the greatest weakness we give to the faith is our parking lot, because it's never empty. There's always <laughs> something going on between the school, between our faith formation programs, but we really uh, expanded following the, the tragedy at Sandy Hook because the counselors who came to us from Yale said to us, the best thing we could do to facilitate healing was to develop strong men's ministries, strong women's ministries, and strong youth ministry. Because everyone mm -hmm. is grieves very differently at a time like this. And so mm -hmm. we put a great deal of energy into doing just that. And, and those have really grown and expanded. And off of those, many, many other ministries have developed. So mm -hmm. at the present time, I'd say we've retrieved probably about 45 of our ministries. Some of them, I, I think uh, it was time for them to, to take on a new look anyway. Uh, but mm -hmm. at the mm -hmm. present time, we're, we're still have become very, very active. Mm. You, you have a very large youth ministry at St. Rose, do you not? Like even just it, with the Knights of Columbus, I think you have the largest group of squires probably in the state of Connecticut, no? Absolutely. I think, uh, I, I'm not sure... We were in competition with the Philippines for the largest group. Uh, oh, really? Yes. <laughs> but we do have a significant number, number of young high school boys that participate in this. And I'll tell you, they are, they are incredible. They wear their, uh, their blue uh, squire shirts with great pride. And anytime we need a hand, you, you, know, you just pick up the phone and yeah. these guys are there for us. We're, we're really blessed with them. And, you know, the young people today have hearts for service. I think that's really where they want to put a lot of their energy. And so uh -huh. being a squire fits right into that, as well uh -huh. as the faith dimension that, that goes uh -huh. along with the service. Uh -huh. Yeah, it's important, I think, particularly for young, young men um, who mature at a different rate than young women. And I, don't, and I think that, that there's a lot of evidence to say that. To, to be able to have role models that they are side by side with, more than just their fathers or their uncles, whatever, is extremely important because it's formative. So I'm delighted that that's there. And I was hoping, please God, in other councils, the squires will continue to grow because I almost see it kind of like as a mentoring program in service. Is that a fair way of putting it? Where you kind of guide them into, into things and, and into works of service and walk with them and teach them and give them inspiration, right? Is that right? You know, what Would I you think is, is really wonderful is that these are all very lay driven. You know, um, certainly they have our support. They have our encouragement. 
but it, we have incredible leadership skills and many of our parishioners who have been willing to take these ministries on. And so, uh, mm -hmm. you know, I make a visit at least once a year or maybe sometimes twice, depending, to make sure I, you mm -hmm. know, get things started. But they right. really have, have taken on a life of their own and right. have been very, very faithful, very, very faithful right. to, to the church and certainly to the parish and to the spirit right. of the ministry. Right. right. So, and it, so, you, so you were formed in the Vatican Council in seminary, but the spirit of the council, right, the radical call to holiness for everyone, right, and calling laity to assume their baptismal responsibilities in the church is basically the philosophy that you're following now, right? Absolutely. Yeah, that's... Now, that's very much a spirit. As I say, Fulton Sheen said to us, you know, this, the council opened the doors and the windows. And he said they didn't do that just to get air. They did that to get you out. And uh, yeah, I, I think uh -huh. that's very much the spirit I've, I've tried to, to embrace. Now, allow me to ask a sensitive question. And the sensitive question is, how did it feel turning 75? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it was, a, <laughs> it was, it was unbelievable, actually, because I you know up in the head, I'm not 75. I, I just uh, mm -hmm. I, I have a hard time that number. You know, when you, you have these applications, I'm now checking the last box, you know. <laughs> so that, yeah. Those are the times that kind of hit you. And, you know, and, and realistically, I know how many years I've left on this earth, I don't know. But I, um, I certainly don't feel as if 75 is impeding me in any way. But um, mm -hmm. it's a big number. You know, and all the people say 75 is a new 65. No. 75 is 75 <laughs> and when you wake up you never know what you're going to wake up to you know uh right you, you just right. hope you're getting up and right right but i heard i wasn't there of course but but i heard that your 75th birthday was quite the quite the party <laughs> you want to you want to fill us in on some of the details sure well i, I threw myself a big uh Oktoberfest. um uh -huh. and uh yeah the umpa pa band we had incredible food I had a, a, a kind of a invitation only party at the Amber Room with, with uh, 600 and some people. Uh, it was great. And then the next day we had a, a huge tenant. We had over a thousand people come for uh, Oktoberfest on Sunday afternoon. So it was, a, you know mm -hmm. what, I, for me though, it was getting people out from the pandemic. So many of the mm -hmm. people, I was so happy to see so many of the, the older folks show up at this event, especially the one that was outside. And that was mm -hmm. really, it was more about that than my birthday to be quite honest i i thought let's get this parish moving again you right, know right for a parish like ours that was so active to become so still uh it was really a struggle to figure out how to get back on our feet again and i thought maybe we'll use this as the occasion to do that and thanks right. be to god right. it, it stimulated right we're going to talk about sandy hook when we come back from the break because that was a seminal moment in your personal life, in the life of the parish, in Newtown, the whole country, actually beyond the country in many ways, right? But um, one of the things that I think is fair to say, and I want you to, to either correct me or kind of expand, is St. Rose really is, the parish, is an anchor in Newtown in a way that is beautiful, it kind of is what parishes used to be, Catholic parishes, just about everywhere. But my sense is, even when I, in the times we've celebrated the anniversary of, of that terrible tragedy, a lot revolves around St. Rose, right, in, in the city of Newtown. Is that fair to say? Oh, I think definitely. I mean, we certainly had a significant number of the funerals. 
but you know, Newtown doesn't have a gathering place. We don't. We don't have a. We have a community center that was built uh, as a gift from GE following this. But prior to that, we never really had a gathering space. So the churches, not just ours, but all the houses of worship, became the places where people gathered. Uh, our space is, of course, the largest in the in the t- era, town here. Uh, so, but we had people of all faiths. Um, mm-hmm. the, the mass mm-hmm. we had the day that it happened. Uh, I, you know, I got home from the firehouse around five o'clock. The mass was scheduled for seven, but at five, the church was already full. And the the police told me over two thousand people were gathered outside the church, and uh, mm-hmm. we were able to set up speakers. And and but there were people just off in the corner singing Christmas carols, praying rosary. Uh, just mm-hmm. being present to each other, but I, I would mm-hmm. I would say I think because of the number of funerals that were from our parish, and mm-hmm. uh, also because we we tried to be very welcoming community, and mm-hmm. I think that drew that drew people here without worrying about if they're Catholic or not. I mean, I think they right. just felt comfortable mm-hmm. being in our church. Mm-hmm. And you have made one of one of your hallmarks to to reach out to 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 the other churches in Newtown and the other religious leaders. You have a very good working relationship with all of them. Right? I, I, you know, that really is what sustained us. I think, especially during Sandy Hook, because many of the ministers did not have a, a funeral, so they were able to do the things that that I couldn't do in terms of uh, of the other other folks. The the survivors and, and those families. Mm-hmm. Um, right. But yeah, we did have a, and, and it's truly interfaith. I will say Muslim, Baha'i, Jewish, it, it's not just uh, ecumenical, it's, it's truly interfaith. Right, right, exactly. Uh, how, uh, post-pandemic, how has the, how has the pandemic affected uh, Newtown, uh, apart from religion? Uh, more families have moved in, more I think What's I, the consequence? Yeah, we, I just heard a statistic that over 200 people sold their homes in Newtown and moved. And unfortunately, many of them were some of our best volunteers, um, mm-hmm. and very active in the parish. We lost a significant number of lay leadership uh, people. Um, but, but the new families are moving in and the new families are really uh, kind of emerging. You know, I think they were, well, first of all, moving from a city to a, a town where there's two, you know, the roads are two lanes and it everything shuts down at nine o'clock at night, that probably enough to keep them home, you know, but now they're, they're coming out more and more. And it's wonderful to see the number of young families. Um, mm-hmm. You know, when I first came here, this parish was, was primarily young families when all the corporations were still in the area. Families are moving in and moving out constantly. So we're back to that. We have families with nine children, eight children, families with seven children, and many young families that four or five children. So it's mm-hmm. wonderful to see the, the generation coming back again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So uh, GE, a lot of, in, in the old days, a lot of uh, the GE employees lived in Newtown? Is that was, it was that GE, it was Pepsi, it was, uh, um, uh, I forgot the, the, the computer company, I'm sorry, put a blank. But yeah, there were a number of corporations in this area, and then when they closed the, their headquarters in this, this area, uh, we lost many, many families. It was constant transitioning. Right. Right, right. So when you look back on your 50 years of priestly ministry, um, what what is, of all the things you've done, of all the things you've been involved in, what what is the one that you look most fondly upon looking back on all those years? Was it youth ministry? You know, I, or something I, I, I else? Can, one thing that's often said about me is that um, I don't, I don't identify people by their wealth or their position in life or 
that I try to treat everyone equal. And I, I, to me, I don't do that deliberately. It's just who I am. You know, to be mm -hmm. quite honest, if you were to ask me uh, who supports the parish financially, I probably could not tell you. I, I, I free myself of that. Um, and mm -hmm. I, I'm often accused, you know, of wearing rose-colored glasses, you know, and I'll, I'll mm -hmm. say something about a person. I'll say, oh, you don't really know them. You should know what they – I don't need to know that. I, I know them as I know them. Uh, and I think that is, that's one thing I think that I'm, I could be fairly proud of um, because it's opened so much to me. It's opened so much understanding. I'm finding myself now, you know, with everything going on in the world, everything going on in the church, I'm, I'm trying to understand, you know, um, there's a lot of confusion and, and there's a lot of things changing again, but I'm trying my best to understand and I don't always accept it that well, but I, I'm trying to understand where it's coming from. Oh I, oh, I see what you mean. Yes, we are in a period of another transition, without a doubt. Yeah. And it's almost, we, Steve and I have talked about this many times. It's almost as if we are now in a, in a, in a consolidation phase so that the things, of, I call it the old and the new, are coming together to marry. And that means some of what was new probably didn't work as well as we had thought, in which case we're gonna lay aside. And some of that, which we consider quote unquote old, that we jettisoned looking back and said we should not have. So it's kind of like a, a great settling process. The interesting thing is the Vatican Council, the Second Vatican Council is the only council so far that hasn't had a significant schism in the life of the church. Which is interesting. And I think part of that, one day we could talk about, try to explain why maybe some of the reasons behind that. I think technology is one of the reasons that has actually helped ventilate some of those differences. But I understand your point. It's we're in a period of transition again. Yeah. And please, God, it will help us to grow, right? Sure. Stabilize the church and help us to grow. But it, it's hard to go through because you don't exactly show sure where the Holy Spirit's leading us, right? So I think we're up for a break. And when we come back, I do want to raise a very sensitive the question about Sandy Hook and the upcoming anniversary. Sure. This is Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. His Excellency is speaking with Monsignor Robert Weiss, pastor of St. Rose of Lima in Newtown, Connecticut, and we will be right back. If you're concerned about your end-of-life plans, searching for a Catholic cemetery, or have loved ones who are buried in one of the 14 Catholic cemeteries throughout Fairfield County, now might be a good time to begin planning for yourself or for other family members. Call one of our family advisors at 203-742-1450 and select option 5 to leave a message or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. Many people don't realize that they can be buried with their deceased loved ones, even if all of the family's in-ground plots have been taken. The Diocese of Bridgeport Catholic Cemeteries provides in-ground burials, as well as columbarium and mausoleum options. This makes it possible to unite your family together in the same cemetery, and it's an opportunity to build a bridge for your family back to the church. Talking about this issue is not easy, but pre-need planning makes your wishes clear, reduces cost, and helps your family avoid difficult decisions at a time of grief and loss. You can start your planning now by contacting one of our family advisors at 203-742-1450 and select option 5 or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. We can guide you through the options, regulations, and considerations to help you make the best decisions for your family. The number is 203-742-1450 
and select option 5 or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. Okay, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. Uh, His Excellency Bishop Caggiano has been speaking with Monsignor Robert Weiss, the pastor of of St. Rose of Lima in Newtown, um, who uh, pastored it and shepherded his community through the tragedy 10 years ago at Sandy Hook. Excellency? Well, well, Monsignor, first of all, as I've said to you many times, I... I and, and, and everyone in our diocese and beyond is deeply grateful um, for all that you did 10 years ago and in the 10 years that have since passed when that awful, indescribable tragedy occurred when all of those youngsters right, were killed. And, um, and it really is a testimony to, you, to your priesthood that you stood in the midst of so much suffering and so many tears and, and, and many times just to hold a hand or a hug or wipe a tear or just to be present, right? To allow God's mercy to be present to these people. And I know it has taken a tremendous personal toll on you. So I, I raise it simply because it is our, the anniversary is coming up, right? In just a, about a week, a little less than, well, maybe a week and a day right? A week and two days. And um, so I'm going to open the floor. I know there's much on your heart about this. Tell, tell us 10 years later, how, what's your, your reflections on the tragedy itself, this milestone that we're arriving at 10 years? Um, what's on your heart after all of this? You know, I think you, you just said the, the one word uh, for me in this whole 10 years has been presence. I, I realized very soon I didn't have the words, I didn't have the professionalism, I, I didn't have anything to, to really bring to, to help move this forward, except to be consistent and to be present uh, to as many people as I could be. I, I you know, certainly am grateful for the, for the opportunity I had to, uh, to be involved in this. I mean, I didn't ask for it, but it just showed me so much of, of life and shows, showed me so much about the dark as well as the light. So mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, in terms of 10 years, we've, we've kind of taken our lead, I believe, from the families. You know, some of them have just done absolutely incredible things to honor their children and to honor their mm-hmm. loved ones. You know, and I, I think when you see how they're living their lives and in the midst of their, their tragedy, their loss, it just reminds us, you know, how important it is to be there for each other, to be supportive of each other. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. there's always going to be division in, at a time like this, and, and there certainly is division among the families. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, uh, you know, they're doing the best they can in the midst of all of this, and we're doing the best we can to continue to support them. You know, I, I do. I have realized, however, that a lot of our young people really uh, were not given the opportunity they needed to process this and to heal through this. You know, mm-hmm. when this happened, there's a tendency in America let's do something. And so every day, you know, we were getting tennis shoes, we were getting basketballs, we were getting soccer balls. We had professional teams visiting us. We had free tickets to Disney World, free tickets to Yankee Stadium. You know, and, and all those things, I think, kind of took us away from what we should have stayed focused on. And as a result, I've, I've seen so many of our older teens and younger adults who were at, in, uh, in school at that time really suffering emotionally from this. Uh, many of them, uh, a few years ago, came home from college uh, a lot of them went back with therapy dogs. You know, they just being away from family, being uh, 
you know, insecure about life, feeling safe. I think there were a lot of issues. I know one one young man in particular, I was at dinner at their house and he, he confronted his father and he said, you know, you were so busy uh, going around worrying about everybody else. You never asked me once how I was doing. And I, it was an amazing conversation that, that ensued following that. But I, I'm very concerned about the young people, uh, especially in junior high. They were the ones that are asking the hard questions. You know, they were the ones right. asking, how could God let this happen? Um, and the high schoolers. And I'm not sure we paid enough attention, even though we, I think we all tried. Uh, but, you know, resources were limited. And, and you know, we try to get back to life uh, and don't take the time we need to grieve or to really focus on the sadness we're feeling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Monsignor, is the original building where the tragedy happened, was that closed? Well, it was closed and it was demolished, and a, and a new school has been built on that site. Right. Yeah, but the, uh, the remnants of, of uh, it was done beautifully, to be quite honest, Bishop. It, uh, it was done kind of very secretively, you know, because they didn't want people coming in there wanting a brick for souvenirs, you know, some of that nonsense mm-hmm. that goes on. They would have been on, online selling bricks from Sandy Hook School, you know. So right. it was done in right. a very beautiful way. And then uh, the new building was put up thanks to, uh, to a, the generosity of the state. Right. Wow. So um, I was wondering about that. Actually, you anticipated one of my questions because those who actually witnessed this tragedy, right, with their class, were literally in the classrooms, would be how old now? That they were, wouldn't they be sixteen or seventeen yeah, they're, years they're old? Yeah, they're heading now? toward junior senior year. Yeah. So they had to go through that tragedy, process that, and as you say, and then go through the rest of growing up, which is always tumultuous for, pe- for all of us, for all humanity, right? Absolutely. So I was wondering, I was wondering if they have stayed together, like in touch with one another. Do you know? You know, I think uh, with the 10 years, a lot of things have changed. A lot of priorities have changed. New people have moved into Newtown. Um you know, there there was a lot of bonding definitely going on during that time. There, were, there was no doubt mm-hmm. about it. This is not a town where there's many families that have extended families. Uh, very few of these children have grandparents that live here. Uh, so, you know, friends are very important in this community. But, you know, as time goes on, as children get older, activities change, uh, those relationships change. But it's still a town where, where friendship is, is extremely important. And, right. uh, you know, for those of us who were here during this, uh, there's still kind of a, I don't know if it's a secret thing, but you can just kind of, you just know, um, you know, even to this day, if I'm in Starbucks or in line to Starbucks, uh, I'll get to the window today with a car behind you is paying for your, your iced tea today. Or if I'm in the CVS, somebody walked off to me after nine years, 10 years later and say, you know, I never really got an opportunity to thank you. So, I mean, for those of us who were here and lived through it, I think that the bond of the community is strong. Right. Monsignor, when the tragedy occurred, you were already pastor. How long at St. Rose? Uh, this was, uh, was there like 13 years. Yeah. So you had already had a relationship with everyone. People already knew you. They were comfortable with you. They trusted you. That's where they relied on you. were immediately the person they came to. Sure. Yeah, I was, I was the right. first clergy to, to be at the site. And, um, you know, many of those children who died went to our preschool, actually. And then transfer mm-hmm. it over to public school for kindergarten. So uh, the families were not strangers by any means to mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, you know, I'm, I'm <laughs> I guess I'm out there more than I should be out there. I don't know, you know, but from the diner and from the restaurants and from shopping and, you know, people pretty much know who I am. So, uh, 
it, yeah, I'm, I'm not an unfamiliar face. You're correct when it comes to that. Right, exactly. You were the, you were the first clergy person. Yeah, on site. one of my parishioners was a, a custodian there, and he called me and he said, "You know, Father Bob, if you can get down here, I really wish you would." Uh, I had no idea what was going on until I actually re- got to the driveway, and the state police officer asked me if I would go down to the school and bless the children. And I said, well, what, "What happened?" And he then he told me there was a, a massacre. And he didn't know the extent of it yet, so he escorted me down to the um, to the school building. But when I got there, uh, excuse me, um, you know, the, the front door was shut, was shot open. I mean, the glass was on the ground that, and I looked in, I could see, uh, I could see the feet of Adam and I could see, you know, the blood. And I, I thought to myself, whoever's in there is a saint, <laughs> you know, I need to be with the other children up in the, who had been brought to the firehouse. So I did not go in. I, I, I walked right back mm-hmm. to the firehouse to be with families and the, at that point, all the children who were there being picked up by their parents, um, and then when all the names were called and, and you could see the families whose child didn't respond standing against the back wall, uh, you, you knew that, that they were probably not going to be there. So we were oh all moving into a back room at the firehouse until the governor came at 3 o'clock. And then at, uh, at one police officer told me at 12 at noon that the governor was coming at 3 to make the announcement so I could get the rest of the clergy down there. So... We were able right. to rally them rather right. quickly. Right, right. And, and I'm almost sorry to ask you to recount all of these things because they are, I know, very painful. But uh, but for those who are listening, and myself included, who are not there, right, personally there, you know, history has a way of just becoming very anesthetized. So it just becomes an historical fact that this happened and these young people died. But when you actually go and listen to the story and the stories, then then the true depth and breadth of the evil that was done and the the tragedy that occurred and the consequences become much clearer, right? Yes. That's what history is really should be a narrative of story, not just facts, right? So I appreciate you sharing what you're sharing about about what happened that first evening then after the governor came there was a press service was there not for everyone um, I, I i when i left the firehouse i couldn't even get to my car there were so many uh so much media um and asking you know the one question they asked me repeatedly have i lost my faith in god because of this you know and i i i never expected that question to be asked you know i i said i say no but i my my trust in humanity is certainly being challenged right now. That some one of mm. our own, you know, one of our own kids from this town could do something like this. This destructive uh, was amazing mm-hmm. to me. Um, but, right. You know, and then getting back to the church and seeing all these people, I, I thought to myself, you know, uh, we really need each other now more than any before. And uh, there was lots of uh, you can imagine. Uh, the tears and the um, oh my gosh hysterics it just it just and actually numbness I would think people who just couldn't react it just right. there's no you don't know how to react right yeah right. it was uh, it certainly was an overwhelming experience then you know on that following Sunday to have a threat against our church just <laughs> how much more you know you you keep asking yourself as more details were coming out and then to receive a phone call that that someone was on their way to to shoot up our church. You know, luckily it was a, a hoax, but, you know, we got, had to we had to stop mass. I had to get the people to quietly get to their cars. Uh, we had to live with the SWAT team for the rest of that week. It, it was a, a, you know, you just wonder how much more 
what what is going on in the minds of people? Because this was about domestic violence with him killing his mother, it was about mental health issues, and it certainly was about gun violence. It touched on all those issues. I mean, look at ourselves ten years later. Where are we? Those issues are are more well known, but they're again they're increasing. And uh, you know, it's, I was naive enough to think this was going to change the world. I really was. I thought, who could look at this and and do it, do what what this right. young man did? But you know what? It was just a matter of two weeks later that another incident right. happened, and it's it's continued. And of course, now with COVID and post-COVID or intra-COVID, whatever you want to call it, and the mental illness and the and the stresses and anxieties that young people have gone through, and everyone has gone through. Uh, the incidents are accelerating. We hear it now. It's like almost every week right. there's something going on somewhere in countries, even in countries where that sort of, of violence was was unheard of. Right. But now it's just you, to your point, you would hope that good would come of it. But that good is only going to come with the conversion of our hearts and be able to help people who need help um, and call a spade a spade. If a person's mentally ill, they are not capable of making a choice whether or not they need help. They have to get help. They have to be given help, right? Yeah. You know, I. You know, it's funny if I may just say this. I was a young young man with the Willowbrook. Remember the the whole episode on Staten Island and the mental health facility and the the disaster. It was obscene what was done to those individuals who were supposedly getting mental health, and we've gone to the opposite extreme. Yeah. Now, but we have to find, like everything else we said about consolidation in the church, we have to get help. Uh, I just, I can't imagine what this young man was thinking when he made the final decision to go out and first kill his mother and then go on. I mean, what, how dark is that dark place? Yeah. You know, Bishop, he attended our school in seventh grade and uh, seventh grade, our language arts, they journal. And the teacher came to me with this journal and it was all black, white and red. Uh, he had written a book when he was, I believe, in fourth grade called Grandma's Day Out of a, a, of a man dressed like an old woman going around shooting people. Uh, hmm. So, the, you know, the signs were there. And I, uh, you know, I'm not going to judge anyone, but um, his, his mental state at a very early age, he was quirky. Hmm. You know, he was a very bright kid. But, you know, he had a, one of those pocket things with his pens. He carried a briefcase, you know, just didn't, didn't work in seventh grade. But our kids, and I think most of the kids in every class he was in tried to, to be good to him. Uh, but it just, the illness was too strong and too deep. Yeah, yeah, wow. Matsinha, of, of the, all those who died, how many of the funerals did you celebrate personally? Well, I did eight funerals here in the church, and I did one service at a funeral home. Um, wow. So, uh, wow. yeah, it was, and it was, you know, it was so compressed because it was the week before Christmas and we had, to, mm. we had most of the wigs were at the church as well as the burials were in our cemetery. Mm -hmm. uh, just trying to get all of that organized. Thanks be to God for the community here at our parish. Um, I, I will never uh, <laughs> be able to, uh, to really appreciate what was going on without my knowing it, you know, just the Knights of Columbus directing traffic and, our Columbiettes out there, you know, putting their arms around people, hugging them, you know, tissues flying everywhere. Um, mm -hmm. It was just, mm -hmm. it was an incredible scene. It was an absolutely mm -hmm. incredible scene. Absolutely. You know, for those who have never been to St. Rose, one of the consequences of the tragedy there was this, the creation of that group that you have now with the red shirts. Right. 
right? So tell us about that. What What is that group? Sure. Well, you know, uh, when we started school again and, we, and we, we realized that when school was in session, there was security. But when the children were leaving the schools to come here for religious education, there was no security. And uh, the police were not able to provide it. So we had a, an attorney who came to me and said, I'm going to work on developing a volunteer security force. And so he did all the legal work on it. We worked with the police department. And so we have a, about 35 men and two women who uh, we call them, the, they either wear a red shirt or a red jacket to distinguish themselves, who are here every time, any every time, not just religious, at any time uh, mm -hmm. that involves young people. So when you're here for confirmation, you'll see the red shirts. Yep. First yep. Holy Communion. Uh, anytime there's a, a youth event, these folks are incredible. And they're better than the post office, I'll tell you. Nothing stops them. doesn't matter what the weather is. They're on duty. It's, it's amazing. amazing. They are yeah. armed, uh, which was a little concern of mine initially. But they, they do take training every year. Uh, they are tested every year. So thanks be to God, we've never had to get to a point like that. Mm -hmm. But uh, it's, a new, it's a new era. I remember, uh, I think you told me, if we didn't have police, we might as well close our school. And, uh, right. Right. How true that is. Right. You know, that's one of the first yeah. questions people right. ask. Right, right. Of course, because the particularly those who live in Newtown have lived through this. We're, everyone's different. Everyone has changed because of it. Everyone I could use the word scarred, but everybody is wounded in some way. Everybody. The world is never going to be the same. And we have to respond to that in a legitimate way. Monsignor, of all the families, how many are you still in contact with who are like local? Are there many left? Well, you know, I'm, have I'm, they still moved? In, I'm still in contact with a lot of the families. Um, many of them have not come back to church. Uh, some two have left the parish to go to another parish. They just found it too hard uh, to walk mm -hmm. into the church, which is one reason we, uh, we did the renovation. You know, hopefully, you know, it's changed somewhat of the interior. Uh, but... Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, three or four of the families are still very active here, uh, mm -hmm. but I, you, mm -hmm. you see them around town. You know, there's there's still a relationship that exists. Yeah, I was wondering because for the for the for the parents, right, who lost their children, this must have been a crisis of faith in some way, or at least a crisis, right, right that yeah. is unparalleled, right, in probably any parent's life, and how they dealt with it, and how in some way. They sought healing in their relationship with the Lord and the church and all the rest. And it's, um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure it's a different story for every person, right? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It's a, you know, and we still have, a, you'll see some during the day they'll come in. You know, I, I leave the church open 24 7. You know, there's a, an area where people can come in and, uh, and it, sometimes there are families, some at three o'clock, four o'clock in the morning, some of them are over there praying. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, and they mm -hmm. see some of the, the moms come during the day and light a candle. Uh, kind of mm -hmm. The kneelers in the church are all that, uh, you know, the, the children. So they kind of kneel on their child's kneeler and, and uh, in their in quiet. Oh. oh, I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. Oh, the kneelers. Oh, okay. Wow. Well, the renovation is beautiful. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. And now you're going to do a little bit more, I think. Yes, you know? we, we were too ardent in our sanitizing and uh, had a product that had chlorine that did a number on our carpet. So uh, we're going to re re be replacing it. Yeah. But without carpet, which is probably Yeah, we're doing nice porcelain floor. Yeah. 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 We should be. Uh, wow. Well, I, I thank you for the opportunity to join you in prayer on the anniversary. No, right? I'm, I'm grateful um, you're coming. Oh yeah, no, I, 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 yes, of course, and I, and that's the one other thing I wanted to alert our, our listeners to, 
you know, during the time when this crisis and tragedy occurred, there was no bishop in the diocese, right? Correct. So what would have naturally happened that would have been the pastor yourself and, you know, the the service and then whatever the bishop could have done to help, that was missing. Correct. Uh, we had some significant support from the Catholic Center, especially Catholic Charities uh, and, mm-hmm. the, and the, the HR department. They were terrific. Uh, but, yeah, it was pretty much left up to us to, uh, to, to get through this. Uh, right, 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 which made, which made the service more, even more important, but the burden even bigger. Which I'm grateful. You know, I had a, but I just had, I had a, an incredible staff here. You know, I think Sunday night it dawned to me like we've got to get meeting with these families. Um, and on Monday we went out two by two, my entire staff to each home. I put a form together for them to, to, you know, fill out the names of the grandparents and, you know, nicknames and favorite things that children like to do. I said to them, you know, I don't want to violate the liturgy, but whatever is important to these families. <laughs> Now, excuse me. Right. Uh, we're going to do it. You know, so we had a couple of hokey country western songs <laughs> in the liturgy. But, you know, yeah. every casket had an American Girl doll or a basketball or a football or something so important to that to the life of that child. And um, we really strove to, to, to do the best we could to help it reflect the life of that, that young person. And, you know, the eulogies um, were given by the mothers at seven of the eight funerals. Really? Yeah. That's remarkable. It was incredible to see these women get up there and tell the story of their child. Yep. Wow. And you know, it's, it's, wow. That is amazing. That is amazing. Wow. I do. Steve, did I you do. have a question? Monsignor, so I know that uh, uh, in the wake of that uh, massacre, uh, there was a priest in Scotland who reached out to you because he had gone through something similar. And I imagine like his excellency has uh, said earlier, that you know these kind of tragic events keep happening and so i imagine that you're being reached out to what did the priest in scotland say to you and what are you telling other community leaders and pastors who are facing similarly horrific you know things in their communities sure yeah monsignor o'sullivan um from scotland uh, called me and uh, or emailed me, and I had we were our office was twenty four seven. We had a lot of volunteers taking emails and phone calls and things like that. And uh, one of the parishioners came to me and said, "You really ought to look at this email." And it was from Basil, and he had been through a school shooting in his own community, uh, not to the extent that we were experiencing, but very similar. And you know, it just said to me, like you know, number one, you're not alone. Uh, Oh, sorry. You know, it's it's then that I realized the universality and the beauty of the Catholic Church. Because, mm-hmm. you know, we were hearing from priests and, and oh, the Holy Father sent an email. Uh, you know, it, it was uh, it was very appreciated. But he did say, my best advice to you is take two weeks vacation as soon as these things are over and right. uh, be by yourself. But, you know, uh, well, first of all, it was Christmas. The other thing was that I think you probably know we were overwhelmed with packages and cards and and things that were just coming to us day after day after day, which had to be processed and had to be dealt with, especially uh, the mon- monetary gifts that were coming in. So um, 
I didn't really take that advice probably as maybe I should have, but uh, it was just great to hear from him. We've developed a wonderful relationship. He's uh, he's retired. His uh, parishioners bought him a little cottage in his town, so he's still very present to his to the parish where mm-hmm. he was assigned. Um, and he's you know he really has been a great support for me. He did come here for the first anniversary actually, and just spoke so eloquently to the families and to the to the parish in general. Yeah. Oh, he did. Yes. Oh, I didn't know. Oh, wow. Tremendous. Um, so my only other question to you is, um, what are you planning once the 10th anniversary is celebrated? You had mentioned to me you have some ideas. I'm not sure you're, you're able to share them yet, but some ideas to add to the church, um, some some sort of healing monument, something that would raise up the beauty of healing, right? It, it may be too early to say, in which case we could we, we could skip over that. Sure. Let's well, you know, uh, just a few weeks ago, a parishioner approached me that he had a beautiful painting of St. Raphael, and he would like to donate it to the church. And uh, I went to look at it, and it's, it's really quite beautiful. And ironically, it's from an artist in Lima, Peru, uh, which so he said it made oh, natural yeah. sense for him to, to be housed here. We had a, an area that was our, our penance room. It's, uh, it was originally the baptismal font when the church was built, uh, a baptismal area, I'm sorry, and a, a kind of an artificial wall was put up. So we're going to, to make it a chapel of healing. We have a, a, a book in our church where we invite people to come in and write any intention they would like for those who are ill or, or those. And we also have uh, the Elizabeth ministry that, that's active here. So I thought this would be a beautiful space. It's a beautiful painting. Uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll kind of consolidate all of that as an area where people can come and pray for healing. Tremendous, tremendous, beautiful, yeah. beautiful. Okay, so uh, let's take one more break, uh, Excellency and Monsignor. Um, this is Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network, uh, having a uh, a conversation with uh, Monsignor Robert Weiss, pastor of St. Rose of Lima Church, um, about uh, the 10-year anniversary of Sandy Hook. But uh, we're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back. Hey, it's Matt from Restless on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. Each week on Restless, we young adults restlessly seek the face of Christ in today's crazy and mixed-up world. Join us each Friday at noon on 1350 AM, 103.9 FM, the Veritas app, or wherever you get your shows. Hope to see you there. All right, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano. Uh, Excellency, here is today's uh, listener question. It says, Happy Advent. I have a question for Bishop Frank. What is the version of the Bible we should use, and what is the difference between different versions? For example, my Bible is the New American version. I have my uncle's from 1955 called the Red Letter Version, and there's the Gideon Bible as well. There's lots of translations of the Bible, okay? But but the one we use liturgically is the New American Bible. So the one she has is exactly the one she should be using. And I believe it's also in the revised version now. The difference is, well, between among the Catholic editions, the differences are the translation from the original languages, right? Um, f- among between Catholics and, and you know, non Catholic Christian versions, it's the actual books are different, as we know, which we've talked about. No, but the New American would be the one I recommend to everyone, the revised version or the study version of the New American Bible. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I think she mentioned the red letter version. I think that's just any translation that has Jesus's words in red letters. So, yeah. Could be. I, I, I didn't allude to it because yeah. I wasn't sure what it is to be. I've never yeah. heard of it before. I have, uh, just yeah. personally speaking, I have the revised standard version uh, on my bookshelf. So... Then, well, that's fine too. As long as it has Absolutely. 73 books, we're yeah. good to go, right, Excellency? <laughs> uh, exactly. <laughs> All right. Exactly. Okay, so if you have a question for Bishop Frank, you can send it in to us on social media or you can email questions at veritascatholic.com. Bishop Frank Caggiano is on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and so is Veritas Catholic Network. And uh, we would like to thank Foundations in Faith. It's a grant from the St. Therese Fund for Evangelization that makes it possible for us to bring Let Me Be Frank to you. Foundations in Faith is committed to supporting and transforming pastoral ministries in the Diocese of Bridgeport, and you can learn more about their outstanding work at foundationsinfaith.org. And Monsignor Weiss, thank you so much for your priesthood and for your guidance for the community and for joining us here today. Thank you. Amen. I say amen to that. Thank you, Bishop. We, we actually, and we have one of your parishioners, Jenny Hubbard, who's joining Joe and Joe on tomorrow's episode of The Frontline. So no. it's, uh, uh, anyway, so um, you, you'll certainly be in our prayers uh, for the tenure and everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Excellency, before, before we go, would you please give us your blessing? Yes, of course, of course. In the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. We turn to you, Heavenly Father, God of mercy and consolation. We ask that your Holy Spirit bless Monsignor Weiss, bless the wonderful staff and the people of St. Rose, and give them courage and perseverance and strength and peace of mind and heart as we celebrate the 10th anniversary of the tragedy that we've been speaking about. But in your arms, our departed are now in their their peace. And so we ask that you give us that peace And bless all that we do and say that it may give you honor and glory. And may the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit come upon you and remain with you forever. Amen. Amen. Monsignor, I will see you at at St. Rose for the anniversary. I look forward to it. Steve, I'll see you next week, my friend. Thank you, Monsignor. (laughs) Thank you. God bless. Thank you.